Hello, everyone, and welcome to Heard on the Street, Street Fight's podcast where we uncover the stories behind the companies, and more importantly, the people that constitute this sector of media and advertising that we all call local. So where are they from? What makes them tick? What business and life lessons can we draw from that? So I'm Mike Boland, lead analyst at Street Fight, and our guest today is Paul Brenner, who's chief strategy officer for Vibonomics, which specializes in audio out-of-home media and advertising. So we talked to Paul from our studio in San Francisco about the trends he's tracking and the best practices he's exercising. So here's our discussion with Paul. So, Paul, welcome to the program. Hi, Mike. Thanks for having me today. Yep, absolutely. We'll, we'll have some fun with this. So we have a lot to get into, uh, including diving deeper into some of the things I just mentioned. But first, let's start with a quick intro for you and for Vibonomics for those unfamiliar. Yeah, thanks for uh, thanks for that quick intro. Um, yeah, Vibonomics itself, we're going to talk about it today. You know, we're pioneering uh, what we're referring to as audio out of home, which is the automation of a more traditional music and messaging space. My job is uh, president of Audio Out of Home and chief strategy officer over that effort um, to essentially take what was launched as a SaaS-only music and messaging type of platform into a place where we bring this programmatic access, transparency, and um, you know, easy-to-buy mentality to, to the ad buying community. And so it's a, it's a big undertaking, but we're trying to pioneer something new over here, and, and my job is to, to lead that effort. Nice. Let's go one level deeper on Vibonomics, or I should say before we do that, let's define out-of-home audio for those unfamiliar. Tell us about the kind of what defines that particular field. Yeah, I think, you know, we do this every day now because it's such a new thing, and I think one, th- one thing to be really helpful to you and your listeners is that the analysis I did leaving corporate America and that was traditional radio, digital media, um, knowing how Clear Channel out of home worked, um, you know, that that life of ad sales. Um, I saw the growth of digital out of home um, immensely, right? It's just the only growth traditional medium. Um, and I saw why it was growing. And when I found this through, I don't know if you know High Alpha, they're the guys that um, started Exact Target and sold it to mm-hmm. Salesforce. Um, Scott Dorsey, Scott McCorkle, they're here in Indianapolis with me, and I talked to them, and they said, hey, you have all this experience in media and tech. Check out this thing we're doing over here. It's audio. It's SaaS. And I said, you know what you have there is you have an advertising medium that can be turned into a whole new category of business, and that's what audio out of home is. It is taking your traditional music and messaging platform, whether that's ones you know today like Mood Media or um, you know others are out there, uh, Pandora for Business, Soundtrack Your Brand, and exposing that, automating that in a way that there's real-time ad insertion available to advertisers through their DSP. So audio out of home is essentially the music and messaging programming that you would hear, music, promos, ads, completely automated all the way down to the location player of a retail store bought and sold through traditional programmatic methods. Hmm. That's interesting in that, you know, for one, you just audio in general is kind of a, a green field in lots of different ways across the board. The growth of podcasting, a lot of artificial intelligence to parse audio content to do some of the things you're talking about, analogous to what Google did in indexing text and web based 
content, you know, 20 years ago. Um, I think that there, there's kind of that inflection in audio now in lots of ways. Um, and, and, and it's interesting, too, the, the benefits of digital that we've been kind of using online for a long time with respect to those granular targeting approaches. Um, it, it's interesting to see that now come to the medium of audio. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it, it kind of started with the consumer aspect, right, where the targeting you're thinking of, like if you thought of Nielsen-driven metrics that sold media, and then you pivot over to, you know, device-specific segmentation, right, of uh, where someone is and who they are, uh, geolocated for ad buys, like by DMA. We've essentially done that by saying, okay, you're a retailer that owns 800 stores across Wisconsin, um, and everyone is a lot long, and they compile a DMA, we're going to define that customer segment, we're going to define the kind of shoppers you have, the time of day, the products that are sold in those stores, maybe different one from another, and allow you to buy against that. And that's really what, what we try to focus on. Nice. And, and you mentioned kind of retail as like a context for where one might encounter this content. So let, let's kind of define that. Um, you know, whom do you work with? Kind of where do you sit in the value chain? It almost sounds like analogous to an ad network, but one that is done in physical spaces and with audio content. Is that a fair characterization? And what is the yeah. kind of two ends of that traditional network model where you, mean, do you have retailers on one end, advertisers on the other? And how does that all work? Yeah, in, in general, that's the two endpoints of the thing, and we're sitting in the middle. I would say that, and a reason that I really enjoyed coming to this company is what I found in most mediums, um, the the uh, network, the, the owner of the network and the seller of the ads is not normally the same person. Yeah, right? there you go. And so we're both. And so that's a unique business proposition in that we go into a retail space. We, we do primarily uh, convenience stores, grocery stores, and we have some – uh, wireless retail stores uh, under one particular big brand, um, and that's really our that's really our ad market, if you will, right? So collectively, you know, we have about four thousand convenience stores on that network, all broken apart by banner, by location, uh, by lat long zip code, products that are available in the stores um, of one flavor or variety of another product skew, um, and they're all kind of sliced and diced. Some 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 buy it one way, some buy it another. We, if you look at the two endpoints, it's usually one of those types of verticals, C-store, grocer, or wireless. And on the advertiser side, it's either endemic or non-endemic. And those, it's about 75-25. 75% um, of the advertisers are folks that want to advertise about products that someone can buy right mm -hmm. there at the retail location. And the 25% are just brand-heavy extensions. You know, maybe it's Honda, right? Or maybe it's... Um, you know, Quicken Loans or something like that, you know, that passes through into the retail space. Yeah, that's interesting, too, because obviously right now in the broader advertising world, there is a lot of consternation around privacy. A lot of that is based on behavioral targeting and not just behavioral targeting, but doing so with shared or bought third-party data. That's what a lot of the kind of GDPR and CCPA kind of come down to. Um, sure. So, you know, we've been hearing a lot about will this mark a return to contextual um, and, and it sounds like that kind of contextual world, correct me if I'm wrong, is what you're dealing with there because it is brands that want to be in the context of that retail space based on the products they sell, if there's alignment, if there's adjacency. Um, is that a fair statement? Yeah, I, I'd say it's a very fair statement, actually. And, um, you know, there's 
there's the customer view, which we use SafeGraph data. That's uh, the Orrin Hoffman company to identify, you know, through device what what the customer is by demographic. We get data from the store owner mm -hmm. to um, supplement that, and with that in hand and the inventory, you have the biggest buyer that's interested in us is in the shopper marketing side. So, and they are contextual. That's what they are. Yeah. Right. So we see the most success. We started with just audio buys and we didn't garner as much of a return as we wanted. And then we shift over into out of home conversations. We seem to be finding the most success of ad buying with shopper marketing specifically because they want it to be contextual. Absolutely. Now, um, let's kind of visualize this just quickly for like, you know, what is the, the shopper experience? What does that sound like for them? I guess visualize is the wrong is the wrong term in terms of like what that in-store experience is. Does it kind of resemble that of a radio? Does it resemble that of a radio station or is it just kind of a lot of house material with with ads and just useful content? Or how does that what's the mix of like the, the audio yeah, experience? It's, it's a fantastic question. I, and I think when we first came to market, there was this stigma that came with the traditional music and messaging platforms of stale or maybe sounds like a radio station. And maybe they even called it blank radio or something like right. this. And, and sometimes you'll have that. Um, we walk into our relationship with the retailer saying that your brand is first and foremost importance to us, right? So we have fully licensed libraries of music. Sure we do. Um, is it high quality, very low compression? So it sounds great. Yes. Is it delivered over a high quality device, um, and expectations of, of high end speakers and audio? Yes. We want everything about that audio experience to be something that makes the brand happy and is something that matches with their audience and they find it uh, helpful or enjoyable. And so that means you worry about like how many spots you play an hour. You worry about the the genres and formats that are played maybe by day part, depending on the age of the audience that are in the stores at that time. Um, you don't put in low quality production uh, copy and creative. It's all high quality copy and creative. Um, you that's you, you get the sense of what I'm saying, right? You have yeah. to you have to really think about when when a lot of times what we do is like we just rolled out we're rolling out a location that's about 800 convenience store owner up in the uh, the north and in their tw 20 store trial or pilot that was the number one people thing that their uh, their customer associates said was man this sounds great hmm. like this is enjoyable to listen to um, and so we do that first and then that means that when we come at them with an ad market idea they trust us right, right. They trust that we're not going to um, uh, go outside of brand guidelines or brand safety. Um, it will be high quality. It won't be offensive, right? So when you build that brand and make it a great experience and you tell people you're beholden to that, the ad market actually thrives more because now they're your partner and they're they're offering up information that could help the partnership better. Yeah, and 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 like an, an annex or or, or a kind of offshoot of the the question about the user experience. One thing that came to mind as you were talking from the perspective of like a an AV geek is you know the are you ensuring that the quality experience is upheld by the fact that that great content is coming through you know decent equipment? Uh, do you have any kind of uh, guidelines or work with the store in terms of the actual hardware to make sure it's not coming through some 40 year old PA system or, or, or is that just kind of like, you well, know, that's, I, that's on the part of the store. I would be lying to you if there are not some 
areas of a store that are still a 1970s can. Yeah. Uh, you know, it sounds like a, a a high school or a grade school uh, PA system. Right. Um, but it, it doesn't happen that much anymore. Sure. I mean, I think that uh, we're not an AV company. A lot of times we're stealing the customers of other traditional music and messaging. As a matter of fact, a really high rate of our customers is stolen from existing music and messaging. So they've already made that investment. Um most of the time through some other yeah, contractual yeah. view. So what we do is we, we do install, we, we, we go out, we do walk, we test, we look for, we use decibel meters to assess volume level, uh, quality of sound. If it's not good enough, we do report it and ask them to change it and, and uh, try to obligate them in some way. I mean, at the end of the day, they make more money. There's a rev share program for the retailer. So, yep. you know, the incentive is that if you participate and it's successful, you've paid for whatever investment it took to make that uh, a clip speaker or, you know, a Bogan amp or something that requires a little bit more investment to make it quality sound and, and be heard above a cooler, right, or a yeah. night machine or something like that. Makes sense. All right, well, so we're going to pause for a quick commercial break. When we come back, more with Paul. Hello, everyone. This is Mike Bolin, lead analyst at Street Fight, and I'd like to talk to you today about Brandify, which is Street Fight's parent company. It's a local marketing company that provides a range of services for brands with brick-and-mortar store locations. So that's everything from retail stores to restaurants and moving companies and banks and healthcare providers and several other verticals. And Brandify manages the digital outposts where most consumers encounter these businesses today. So we're talking Google Maps and Facebook, Yelp, Apple Maps, and Bing. And the name of the game is really to create a compelling presence on these sites and apps and to engage with consumers more effectively using advanced reputation management tools. And this is all really compelled by the fact that 97% of consumers regularly search online for local businesses. So brands today can't afford to be missing from all those channels or lack multimedia content or contact information or visible responses to customer feedback. So Brandify synthesizes and optimizes all these channels through a local marketing platform. And it's all about standing out and winning the loyalty and lifetime value of tech-savvy consumers. So to learn more, visit Brandify.com. So we're back. My guest is Paul Brenner. So Paul, before the break, we were talking about some of the dynamics of the business, the customer experience of that kind of in-store audio content and how you are aggregating those audience on its for your advertisers, working with the, the retailers themselves, um, sort of almost analogous to a, a traditional kind of digital um, ad network model and kind of sitting in the middle. Um, so let, let's dig a little bit deeper um, into the... Um, the advertisers themselves, um, mm -hmm. you know, who are right. they? And I guess we could have the, that parallel discussion on the other side. Um, it seems like, because you mentioned the, the, the customers are coming from other audio channels. It would almost seem like you're almost competing with local radio as well for the traditional types of advertisers, the, you know, kind of mid-market local folks and then, you know, verticals such as entertainment and events and those kind of typical verticals. So what does that picture look like in terms of your addressable market vertically or, or, or otherwise in terms of the types of advertisers you're attracting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question because we really did not – I mean, we had a hypothesis, right, when we came out of the door 
and you know in the virtual green room break i mean you were talking about the venn diagram of of you know advertisers but yeah. the you know the audio piece we thought coming out of the gate it would be audio only um out of home whether that was digital or or traditional and um and shopper marketing those were the three places that we thought about it so i don't know where we necessarily steal the budgets from but i will say at an agency level um we are getting some audio money um and some out of a home money but the biggest interest comes from shopper marketing the reason is because we have a relationship with the retailer along with a buy at a reasonable cpm we can also we can not only show the delivery of the impression to the shop marketing, we can provide them a lift study. We can provide them an ROAS study. We have access to POS data mm. with the retailer. Um, so we, so I don't know. There's might be two things here, right? Audio out of home and shopper all have budgets that could be allocated. Yeah, we seem to be winning a bigger share of the shop market because they know what to do with that. They know what to do with that. Like, ooh, I ran more ads for this much time and saw a 42% lift in stores and or in product store sales. Yeah, those KPIs resonate with them because it's kind of their language as opposed it's to their those, language, right? Yeah, those other bubbles of the of the Venn diagram. Um, yep. Oh, interesting. So now, what about on the the other end, on the on the retailer end of things? Does that map to any particular verticals? You know, you mentioned kind of telecoms, uh, you know, cellular and, and stuff like that, or is it more of just kind of a horizontal play? Well, we've dabbled. We've dabbled in quite a few. I mean, we've actually been. We have other companies that are customers of ours: airports, um, water parks, uh, you know, uh, race car parks, uh, uh, trampoline parks. Like, nice. you know, we have a lot of other customers. Um, but we seem to have found that the biggest ad revenue potential comes from the most. Um, I guess I would say. Uh, uh, what's the word influence we can make on the purchase. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think the immediacy of the grocery store, the convenience store, it resonates really well there. I mean, we've looked at some stuff with, we do some stuff with, with Verizon, you know, or with the other, you know, wireless pl places, but you know, we don't, um, we don't have near the products to choose from when it comes to, you know, selling advertising against it. Um, and if you go to retail, we've looked at, um, you know, beauty products and, and pet and sporting good, um, they just don't have quite the same reaction um, as somebody that might be, you know, when they're in the grocery store, they're not just deciding do they want that product or not, they're deciding what size they want, what brand they want, right? Um, they might be influenced to make a buy they didn't really plan for that day, uh, if it's contextually uh, well done. So uh, we've just found the most success so far with with Sea Store and Grocery. Yeah, so it, it seems like it maps to the the variability of the product store itself, as opposed to a cell phone store where there's a certain amount of you know there's only a certain amount of things you're going to buy there. Uh, right. So that variability. Of content, yeah. yeah, yeah. So with that variability in mind, uh, where do you see some of maybe the the other areas of expansion you might be excited about or that are untapped? Well, I you know the next two up that we think about most are pet and sporting good hmm. right because they are uh much they have a diverse product there can be seasonality they have a a, a you know a vigorous uh audience that is very specific to things that they want to buy um it's just they're not as big the, you know if you look at at uh, c store there's 155,000 locations in the united states uh grocery 60,000 um you put all of the pet stores together and it's like 10,000 locations you know it's like the size of the network doesn't have quite the value 
to make the investment that we have to. It is, this is an expensive technology for us to build. Mm. Um, and so I think we'll stay kind of focused on C-Storm groceries for probably the next couple of years, um, unless something really changes changes drastically. And, you know, we have to give it that year for the advertisers to even find us and, and uh, continue growing with us. Yeah. Now, beyond potential areas of opportunity and expansion, vertically speaking, how about functionally speaking? You mentioned a lot of interesting things you guys are doing when it comes to targeting, when it comes to reporting, when it comes to really just getting a good grasp on on ROI. Um, What do you see either in those areas or just anywhere else technologically or functionally that, that you are excited about in terms of boosting the capabilities of what you're offering? Yeah, no, I, it's it's a really good thought. I, I mean, I won't go into too much detail about stuff we're thinking about. Oh, but sure, I mean, like I think, roadmap-wise, uh, you know, yeah, you can talk at a high wise, level. <laughs> yeah. yeah, high level, I think it, it's a very natural thing for us to go towards reporting as a service, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the exposure of what those things are and how they might tie into other omni-channel types of platforms, right? If our network is owned by us, through our relationship with the retailer and we have access to data and and things that are being delivered we could possibly open up to reporting as a service to somebody else that you know views that as i'm not going to go out and build other types of technologies to report against but i might sell that as reporting as a service into somebody else that's one um, another that's really natural and we talk about a lot is just the music industry in general um and you know maybe you Maybe you're the place where new songs are released, right? Hmm. Um, you know, maybe you are uh, part of a relationship with uh, a label or something that could could benefit them um, along the way. So, you know, it's a background music service. So there's always going to be conditions around that. Um, but uh, you know, there's a lot just in the music that could be thought about as well. That's interesting. So expanding the the areas of the value chain that you own, would that also have economic uh, kind of advantages in terms of, you know, eschewing any of the licensing or other things that you might be doing in terms of the content itself if you, you know, have those direct relationships in terms of where the content's coming from? Sure, yeah. The, the, uh, the PRO relationship, as long as you're compliant with the fact that we're deciding what's played mm-hmm. and the end user can't make that change it really doesn't matter what the source of the content was right oh. so we we uh you know there's definitely been some talks about how that could be a benefit you know if you're at let's see today we reach about 150 million unique listeners a month that's twice the size of pandora hmm. right i think over the next year we'll get to probably over 200 million unique a, a, a month so how is that not – I mean, that's bigger than most cable channels, Absolutely. Right? So I, I think of it – I think the ad piece, audio out of home, is where we're really focused right now because it's a growth period. It's a revenue driver. We want to own that space um, as the pioneer. Um, and then beyond that, we clearly feel like there's other content um, – that can be done. And, you know, I would also say sometimes it's not about the money. Um, in this COVID experience, we have, you know, we have governors that are calling us and saying, can you put my message in every community store in the oh, state right yeah. now? Yeah. Like public service. Geo- yeah. Public service. We can geolocate every uh, community store inside the boundary of a state and put out, you know, notices that they're trying to use traditionally just radio for. So, I mean, there are other ways to contribute to society besides, you know, making money for everybody. So mm-hmm. I think that's another functional way we can we can consider this. Absolutely. So kind of shifting to some uh, kind of company topics, um, I found it notable that, you know, 
in addition to the cool things you guys are doing from a business standpoint and everything we just talked about, which is, you know, very intriguing, uh, from a company standpoint, um, it seems like the culture you're building, the organization you're building is also hitting high marks. Specifically, um, Vibonomics was named 2020's best place to work by the Indiana Chamber of Commerce. Um, mm -hmm. And I think also was a, it was a finalist for a scale up of the year. Um, yeah. So so clearly some accolades there. Tell us a little bit about that and what you attribute some some of those types of uh, awards. Yeah, I I came in to the uh, I, I've been here for about seven months. You know, working on this program, the company Vibonomics launched about three years ago, and there's a, a group of guys that formed the company. Um, Brent Oakley is the lead. He's my my boss at the company CEO. Um, Adam Ritz and some others uh, that were involved in that, and you know they their attitude was to make it a fun and enjoyable place to be, and um, you know work hard and and just kind of that startup mentality. But I think you know in general Brent's personality is one that he wants people to come to work and have fun every day and enjoy each other and. And uh, that's really what kind of resonates through with the organization. Um, and I think the people that come here, you know, have to both thrive in that environment and not get caught up in it, right? There's a very relaxed, flexible feel to our place, but the expectations are really high. So the, the culture we have is that balance. And I think it's why people like it so much because you're empowering them or entrusting them, but saying, hey, let's let's not take this too seriously. You know, mm -hmm. um, let's work hard and achieve things. But, you know, we live our lives. We have different things we have to take care of, take care of them or, you know, come to work and have fun. I mean, we we were having I think the other day, me and a couple of ladies in the office had cartwheel contests around the office. I mean, right. it was, you know, it, it, it really it generally we're not we're not an FDA company. We're not curing cancer. We're having fun. We're selling ads. We're producing music. We want our customers to know that we're fun people, but we care about what their products are. It's the same mentality that I think that's what's making us successful in the marketplace. Great, and and I'll ask a follow up question related to kind of uh, you know culture and org, uh, but but more um, drilling down into the kind of relevance of the the time we're in now, which is um, how are you all handling um, kind of the you know, shelter in place uh, necessities and, and doing so remotely. It sounds like you've built a culture that could be conducive to that productivity. Yeah, Brent uh, Oakley, I mentioned, I mean, he pulled the trigger on work from home probably a week before anybody else announced it. Hmm. Um, and we all just picked up, walked out and went home, started working there. And I don't think we missed a beat. I mean, we were built to work from anywhere. The hardest part is we have to provision uh, uh, IOT devices to distribute to our new customers. Sure. Um, but we have a just-in-time partnership that we've outsourced to Verizon. So that's pretty much through their processes. Um, but I would it's really funny. We were talking about before we started. Brent and I actually feel like the company's more productive than it ever was. Wow, yeah, <laughs> because great. Because we're just stacking together meetings and everybody's working hard and, and getting through a lot of content. We're signing up customers faster than we can hardly keep up with them, which is makes people feel good. Um, but, you know, we're also working hard at it. We, we host a lot of uh, collaborative parties. We have, uh, you know, uh, all 40 of us jump on a 40, uh, a 430 uh, toasting. You know, Wednesday was like wine, whiskey and White Claw Day. And, you know, so just I think it's just about kind of keeping people stitched together um, and then also keeping an eye on people. If they feel like they're starting to disconnect, then you got to reach out to them and, and talk about it. But overall, we're, we're doing really well with it, I think. That's great. And, you know, I, I'm biased because I have worked remotely for the last 18 years and I've gotten down, down to a science. I don't think I'll ever go back to the traditional method. But, you know, there are certainly 
um, kind of uh, rules of order um, to not rules, but I mean, they, they can be more flexible, but there are certain best practices to really doing it well. And I think what's interesting is, is the world is now getting forced into developing those best practices and could come out better for it three weeks or a month from now in terms of that forced perspective of the, the potential um, cost savings, efficiency, less pollution, less stress, less time from commuting, things like that could end up being something that it was a perspective that is forced upon mm-hmm. all of us. And we could go mm-hmm. back maybe not to the way the world used to be and maybe not suddenly everyone has just full work at home policies, but maybe somewhere in the middle uh, of, you know, mm-hmm. how would you ideally build something from the ground up today as opposed to the repetitive motion and habit that we were possibly operating on and everyone comes into the office Monday through Friday, everyone's there at once everyone you know in the congestion that goes along with all that this could be one silver lightning in terms of the enlightenment this could bring all of us about uh maybe uh optimizing all of our kind of lives right right and supporting the family time right yeah that's been good for a lot of people too yeah so that's great. Um, so in closing down here, kind of full circle, back to you know talking about you and your personal arc. You know, what are you most excited about um, and working on? Kind of now, we talked a little bit about that in terms of things we can expect from the company, but also kind of personal goals for the remainder of 2020. Um, yeah, it is coming full circle because you know, even though I never cared about um, making money, I've been fine. I've been quite successful. And so I've gotten this opportunity to take a risk with this company um, and make it into this great enterprise. And I think 2020 is the the rocket year. It's the go turbo year. Um, we already contracted the business that we haven't publicized to make this, a, you know, a 5x size company, mm-hmm. you know, 12 months from now. And I and what I look forward to is really this is just the beginning of quite a few years of growth. And um, so I'm excited to be a part of it. Um, it's serendipitous of all the experience I had to find this location, which literally is an eight-minute commute from my house, um, when we when we do have to go back to work. So um, it's a it's a year of growth, and I'm just really excited to be part of it. Absolutely, that's actually a great place to end it. So some great lessons, um, and that's all the time we have. So I want to thank you, Paul, for spending time. Oh, with you're us. welcome. Great, great uh, having me on the show. It was a great podcast. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. This this was fun. Um, thank you all for listening. Stay tuned for future episodes of Heard on the Street. You can find us on StreetFightMag.com. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Also, stay tuned for lots more writings and multimedia from Street Fight. So this has been Heard on the Street. I'm Mike Bolin. Thanks for listening.